It is February 3rd, 2023, and welcome to episode 177 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm your once-a-week host, Jamil Jaffer, the founder and executive director of the National Security Institute at George Mason University's Anton Scalia Law School, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and former boss, Les Munson, the former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and a senior fellow here at NSI. And of course, also joined by the superstar, just not on television, Jessica Jones, NSI's deputy executive director. So what's the story for today? Well, look, the last week or so has seen a key increase in violent clashes and attacks across the Middle East. An Israeli counterterrorism operation in the West Bank's Janine refugee camp killed nine, including seven gunmen, two associated with Palestinian Islamic Jihad, four associated with Hamas, the, the terrorist group that controls the Gaza Strip. And in the ensuing firefight, which lasted four hours, two Palestinian civilians were also killed, including an elderly woman. The same day, a Palestinian man was shot dead by Israeli security forces in Al-Ram, another West Bank town, making last Thursday one of the most violent in the West Bank since 2005. And since then, things have gotten progressively worse. This weekend marking, marked the worst uh, deadliest set of Palestinian attacks against Israelis since 2008 in a single day. On Friday, a Palestinian gunman killed seven and wounded three outside a synagogue in East Jerusalem. And on Saturday, a Palestinian shot and wounded two, uh, wounded two Israelis in East Jerusalem as well. And while all this was going on in Israel and the West Bank, over the same weekend, last Saturday night, a series of small drones believed to be coordinated by Israel from within Iran conducted a strike on an Iranian defense ministry for, factory in Isfahan. And even though Iran indicated there was minor damage to the facility and claimed it had shot down one of the drones and captured two of them, it once again highlights the fact that Israel can and will conduct strikes inside of Iran when it believes its national security is at stake. This isn't the first time Iranian military facilities have been targeted over the, over the last few years. We've seen uh, mysterious explosions across Iran, particularly its nuclear facilities, and a number of Isra- uh, Iranian nuclear scientists have disappeared mysteriously uh, or blown up um, in, in strikes within Iran. Outside the Middle East, things are also getting a little spicy. The United States conducted its own major counterterrorism raid um, in Somalia, taking out a key ISIS facilitator, Bilal al-Sadani, and 10 other ISIS associates uh, in northern Somalia, and a terrorist leader associated with the, with the Pakistani Taliban claimed responsibility just a few days ago for a bombing at a mosque in Peshawar, Pakistan, killing nearly 100 and injuring over 200. And of course, let's not forget this all takes place as Iran continues to supply Russia with drones for its war in Ukraine, sail uh, its warships through the Panama Canal, and sought to kill an Iranian journalist here in the United States uh, by by funding a Eastern European criminal gang uh, that had acquired an AK-47, went to this woman's house and nearly uh, took her out. So the world is getting is getting nasty, particularly in the Middle East. It's ending up on our shores. What, if anything, should we be doing about it? Jess, over to you. So I got lost in the, the very long list of things that are happening in, in the region. Um, and so I know we, we talked briefly about this before the show started and, you know, where the debate is and, and what that exactly looks like with, with all of the activity in the region. And, you know, I, I, no surprise, I don't have an answer to tensions in the region. I know it's been working on for how many administrations, how many really smart experts, policy experts. But I, I think, you know, the U.S. is present in the region. There is it, it is in the news. It's in the headlines. It's on the the cover of every newspaper, we we provide over four, almost four billion dollars a year to Israel, like in, in support. We're present. Our our Congress, our president, they make comments on this. So I, I don't know what new messaging we can bring to this to provide more attention to the seriousness of what's going on in the region. Um, I don't I don't have a solution. Let me let me let me jump in here and Jamil just kind of repeat back to you something that you talked about, which is that U.S. forces are in northern Somalia. <laughs> taking out terrorists, right? We are in the most obscure corners of the world 
uh, acting on behalf of U.S. interests. It is the U.S. is engaged in a global effort. There is no doubt about that. There is commitment in both parties uh, to addressing this issue. So I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure what the debate here is. It seems to me like we are we are, in fact, being very aggressive uh, when our interests are threatened in Ukraine, we are spending tens of billions of dollars to help the Ukrainians push back Russian forces. In the Middle East, we have commitments in a number of countries, both in terms of blood and treasure. Our folks are in harm's way in multiple places around the globe. The U.S. commitment is deep and profound to providing security in any number of places where our interests and our values are at stake. Yes, that is all true. What 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 is the what is the question on the table then? Get Middle East peace less, obviously. Well, I, I'm glad you think that less that, that the U.S.'s commitment is strong and vital and vibrant. And Jess, you talk about the billions of dollars we provide and that. Look, sending a check isn't showing up, and there is not an ally around the globe that did not watch our withdrawal from Afghanistan and say, "Is the U.S. really going to be there for me?" You can see it. We just talked about it a couple of days ago when it came to South Korea. South Korea doesn't trust. The American nuclear umbrella, regardless of the fact that for 33 years we had nuclear weapons on their soil, right? And today we purport to provide the nuclear umbrella. They don't trust it because they've seen how we treat our allies around the globe. They've seen how we threw the Kurds under the bus in the Trump administration. They've seen what we did in Afghanistan. They've seen in Ukraine. You claim less that we've the great defense commitment to Ukraine with poor billions of dollars. Sure, but that has come over time and only when we saw the Ukrainians winning. We weren't willing to give them a lot of supplies ahead of time. We weren't willing to arm them uh, before the invasion. We weren't willing to effectively prepare them. We only showed it to the party when it was clear they were going to have a real effect. And now, and by the way, it took a year and thousands, thousands of dead Ukrainian civilians, hundreds of dead Ukrainian children before we decided to send them tanks. We still aren't willing to send them fighter jets because we honestly aren't to be trusted when it comes to our allies. And let me tell you, if our allies aren't, don't think we're there with them, our adversaries certainly aren't afraid. We didn't cow the Russians into not going into, into not going across the border in Ukraine. We aren't cowing the Chinese from going across, across the straits into Taiwan. And we certainly aren't making anybody afraid of us. The Iranians aren't worried about us in creating a nuclear weapon. They're worried about the Israelis. So let's be real less. We're not a strong ally and we're not a very, very, very credible foe. Jamil, you're, um, there, there are points where I, I don't disagree with you, but your reaction to Only every points. single, your reaction to every single episode that happens in the world is if we had been way more aggressive, we would have prevented that from happening. That is delusional. Overall, that is a delusion that must be stopped. We cannot stop all of the bad things in the world from happening. We are in Somalia killing terrorists. Should we be in Pakistan killing the terrorists there too? How do you think that's going to roll with everyone in South Asia? Uh, like I, there are limits to what we can do. We need to prioritize our interests. We need to act smartly. It's okay if the Iranians are afraid of the Israelis and not necessarily of us. Who do you think the Israelis are working with? Who was visiting Israel right before the strike? Like, let's be smart about this stuff. We don't have to be on the front lines of every single country conflict in the world that is unsustainable. The American people don't want it. They're not going to vote for it. It is a totally implausible scenario. We need to be smart. We have limited resources, even though we are the hyperpower of the world or the global superpower. That doesn't mean we can do every single thing in every single instance. We have to use judgment. I also think it's interesting, kind of how we talked about with South Korea, the domestic, what's going on abroad domestically with these populations, right? 
is is it surprising or is it not that we have a you know Netanyahu, the most far right government of recent times in Israel, and we see this increased violence? I don't know, but we have our show is not focused on what's going on domestically in these nations that might be causing some of these tensions that we, regardless of how aggressive we might want to be, don't change those internal domestic politics. Look, Jess, I don't disagree with you that domestic politics, both here in the United States as well as in our, our when our allies and partners overseas, drives a lot of their view of us. But there's no doubt that our behavior in the globe, driven by domestic politics, makes us look less uh, less honest, less upfront, less defensive of our allies, and less scary to our adversaries. And less to your point that I'm always aggressive, your answer to everything is nuance and ca- be careful and be cautious. That doesn't mean anything. There's no content to those words. This is a bunch of phrasing that doesn't have any real substance. I may be aggressive, but at least I got a policy posture. Anyhow. That's a wrap. Thanks to Brooke Ancon, Rachel Domino from NSI, and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us again next Monday for the next episode of Fault Lines, the podcast that gets you smart fast on the issues shaking up America's national security. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And follow at Mason Natsek on Twitter so more people can get in the Fault Lines crew and get in the NSI mix.